At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. Stop him! A battle that will finally be fought. I want them to get down and draw to me! Across the face of Earth. Welcome to First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, the podcast that looks at every book and every tie-in of the DC crossover event called Invasion from 1988. I'm one of the co-hosts, Siskoid. And I'm Bass. The other one. The other one. As they say. We are not the same person. We, we are really not. We do not have the same voice or exact accent. <laughs> no, and we're, no, we're not the same guy. <laughs> so stop saying it. Honest. It's not oh, true. Yeah, yeah. We look we, completely different. Yeah, we both have our own Twitters. Yeah, that's proof. If you were here with us the last episode, we talked about Superman number 26. Yeah, that was fun, because uh, first time we saw Superman since the first uh Really, invasion. from the beginning, yeah. Yeah. And this time, we no waiting. It followed directly into Adventures of Superman number 449. I know! Usually, it's like kind of stacked, because we're just following the order that's suggested at the back of Invasion number one. It's not necessarily chronological, it's just like the weeks they came out. But Superman and Adventures of Superman are back-to-back on the list so that's perfect no waiting we follow directly from that issue the story is called Search by writer-penciler Jerry Ordway inker Dennis Jank letterer John Costanza colorist Petro Scottis assistant editor Rene Witherstatter and editor Mike Carlin let's talk about the cover let's talk about the cover okay Jerry Ordway cover it's a, it's a nice cover every time I see Superman because Superman is just basically pulling out this huge car uh, from, from the river also he has a guardian in his hand uh, well holding him and you know lifting that one car with his one hand and every time I see a cover or Superman just lifting a car for some odd reason I have this little nostalgia thing going on reminds you of action number one exactly yeah for sure so uh, I just love this one I mean, it's kind of a cool-looking car also. It's off the bat, just looking at the cover, I don't really know it's Guardian's car. It's yeah. just a car. But, but it's, it's got three wheels. It's a three-wheeler. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those weird vehicles yep. that looks like a Kirby invention. Well, and, it ought to and, look like that. And yeah, and just Superman just lifting it up, just one-hander. Yeah, it's Jerry Ordway is a beautiful artist, and uh, he puts a lot of detail in the cover, but in the interiors as well. So you've got a lot of, you know, the, the spray of the water. You've got cops on the dock. You've got the textures. There's a lot of texture, I think, in his work. Yep. And the textures of the of the underside of the car uses zipatone, and it's all quite um, purple. Skies always sell well. Do on they the cover? I don't know. I talked about that with uh, <laughs> at one time. Well, I think they do for some odd yeah. reason. And cops, cops always sell well on a on a cover. <laughs> do they? I once again, I don't really. I, I talked about. I thought it was like monkeys and yeah, motorbikes I talked and, with uh, uh, with Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but it was fun. Some things just catch your eye, and and this uh, yeah. this is a very nice cover. Yeah, and the fact that the weird van is white mm-hmm. and gray makes the like the superhero costumes pop. Yeah, really. You see them immediately. It's almost like almost a black and white or a monochrome image, and then you've got these superimposed superheroes on it. Yeah. So yeah, great cover. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of movement in yep. everything. There's the splashing water looks like splashing water, and you know it's it's very very nice. Well, no, Jerry Ardway is definitely one of my favorite artists. Never a, a bad way to go. We'll do a synopsis of what happens in the issue, and then we'll talk about the story and the art. 
And then we'll take a small break, and when we come back, we'll we discussed Superman quite a lot yeah. last time, and our letters from the front will will have probably some <laughs> Superman discussion uh, coming up next. But uh, we'll really be talking about uh, Guardian and the Newsboys because yeah. they play a large part in here, and we didn't want to repeat the same conversation. So uh, after the break, we will do a little Guardian spotlight. We're going Guardian. So here's a synopsis. You can follow along if you have the issue. It goes like this: The Guardian is looking for Superman on behalf of the U.S. government when he comes across gangbuster brutally beating on a, a child pornographer. I think yeah, this is it's exactly Like a bad it. dude. Guardian tries to intervene and the two of them tussle. The Newsboy Legion, stowaways aboard the Guardian's van, try to help their friend by ramming the vehicle into gangbuster, sending everyone careening down into the river. Guardian tries to rescue them but gets zapped by the van's security system and passes out. Superman arrives just in time to save him and the Newsboys from a watery death. He is informed that the war effort is looking for him, but first, he has to answer Jimmy Olsen's call. Because meanwhile, Jimmy had gone to a dive bar looking for Bibbo Baboski, an informant who once worked with Superman and who perhaps might know where the Man of Steel was. Having walked into a brawl, he is soon surrounded by thugs who accidentally activate uh, his signal watch, to which Superman finally responds, putting them out of commission by tearing the floor from under them. After talking to Jimmy, Superman realizes that he's missing the last 20 hours of his life, and the Daily Planet building, which has been declared sound enough not to be evacuated, Lois starts to get worried about Clark Kent, who also has been missing, and heads off to his apartment. As she leaves, she crosses paths with a woman who knows Superman is Clark Kent and has been stalking him to prove it. But don't worry, this isn't really important right now. She's the scientist who figured it out for Luthor in Superman number 2 and was fired on the spot for coming to such a ridiculous conclusion. So that's the backstory of that. And, of course, it'll follow up into uh, future issues. Anyway, Superman finally meets with Captain Adam, who asks him to meet with the Alien Alliance and broker a ceasefire, uh, seeing as they know of him and that he isn't human. He meets with a Dominator who evidently knows he's wearing a wire but doesn't care and is told that Earth has 24 hours to assemble its metahumans and surrender them. The heroes are assembled, and Superman will address the group in Invasion number 2. Whew! Still yeah. a lot of stuff going on oh, in the yeah. Superman book. Obviously, it follows on from the um, gangbuster storyline. Yeah, yeah. But it starts off with Guardian. He's the first hero we see. Uh, big old splash page also. It's a, it's like, yeah, like a two-page spread. Yeah, that's kind of nice. We don't see that often anymore. Like a big page. I love that. And, uh... Yeah, going toe-to-toe with the gangbuster. That kind of surprised me because, you know, I, I, I know gangbusters doing stuff, but I never figured that they'd fight it off. Guardian just goes in there, zaps him with some kind of beam. I mean, I don't know. I don't know Guardian that much. I know of him. I don't know very much about him. So, uh, but I like this little 80s reference where uh, gangbuster thinks the car is talking to him and he just says, like, bottles off, Knight Rider. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. Yeah, the, well, the, the van has the beam weapon. It, this is why. See, there's one panel where they have this very Kirby-esque. You know, these little dots yeah. that go everywhere. Kirby Crackle. Kirby Crackle? That's, That's what they the, call it. Yeah. Well, it has some Kirby Crackle in there. That's why I thought it was And Kirby. it makes sense because, not to have the discussion about Guardian too soon, but how did he get in there is that, the Gar- obviously, Guardian was a Golden Age character. Yeah. Created by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. Uh, I did not know that. A couple right? years after they created Captain America. Okay. So it's another, for a different company, they did also a... Captain America. Uh, a sort of, well, sort of, a shield-toting hero. He's really Jim Harper, a beat cop, who dresses as the Guardian at night or whatever. To, well, he's a tough dude. Yeah. 
living in suicide slum. It eventually was, they eventually said it was suicide slum. And he didn't really have his own strip, so not really. He was part of the Newsboy Legion strip. And this was one, a few Golden Age strips did this, where they had a nominal hero, but it was really about the supporting cast, like the neighborhood. Okay. Getting into trouble, and then this hero would show up. In this case, it was the Newsboys. So the Newsboys were one of these, uh, another idea that Kirby came to often, adventuring kids. Newsboy Legion, the Boy Commandos. He tried to do this uh, a few times. And the Newsboys were just Newsboys. They got into trouble, and then the Guardian would show up, you know, and maybe bail them out. Or they would have a relationship with the beat cop that is Jim Harper without knowing he was the Guardian. Anyways, so those characters exist in the 40s. Fine. When Jack Kirby moved over to DC in the early 70s, he created the fourth world, Mm -hmm. Mr. Miracle, the New Gods, all that. So I know these guys. Right. He was going to create three books and take over one. Which one do you want, Jack? And he wanted the lowest selling book. Okay. Which was at the time, apparently, this is the the, the legend says, and at the time it, it was Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Okay. Was, so according to lore. According to lore, he chose that one because it wasn't selling. Because it was like a loser that was going to be canceled anyways or whatever. Well, I mean, it's Jimmy Olsen. He's Superman's pal. Yeah. Maybe it could do something with that. And so he turned Jimmy Olsen into this action hero, this Kirby-ish action hero, mm-hmm. who had adventures with Project Cadmus and the Newsboy Legion and the Guardian against the forces of Darkseid. Oh, wow. So it was part of the fourth world. Oh, wow. And these comics are great, obviously. But how to take these characters that he created in the 40s and bring him to what was, was now 1970, 1971. So he basically made Project Cadmus was like a DNA project, and the Newsboys were clones created by scientists who were the Newsboys when they were kids, kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Big Words were was... Like actually... Big Words is now a scientist creating a young Big Words. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And they also cloned Jim Harper, their old friend, the, the cop. Wow. So this Guardian is like a clone of the original. Oh, although wow. I think he has all the memories, but like a perfect copy of himself. And so when they, in post-crisis, this is something they tapped into. And for a while, like it was became very important to the Superman books. And Superboy and through the 90s became pretty important to a number of Superman characters. And it's already begun, this whole thread of Cadmus Project. Okay. And these characters have been important into it. And of course, because they've already got that Superman connection dating back to 1970. Yeah, yeah. okay. So I get it. I get it. Well, uh, it was nice seeing Guardian get into it with Gangbuster, which is kind of a, a weird fight for me because it's, it's basically this... And I'm going to use D&D words here. Okay. Uh, it's like this lawful good guy fighting this chaotic good guy. Right? They're both good. They're both on the same side of things. But they're just basically arguing about semantics. <laughs> they're arguing about how to do things. And, I mean, they get into a fist fight, which is very usual, yeah. I think. And as we know now, Gangbuster is actually Superman. So Guardian is quite in a bit of danger. <laughs> well, yeah, but Superman's holding back right now. Right. Which kind of explains why when the Newsboy Legion just basically... Ra- and I don't know what's going on in these guys' heads, but they just basically ram them through a concrete wall or concrete railing yeah. into the river. And, I mean, it, it could have killed Guardian, but I don't think they know how to drive this. No, they don't they just, know. They just floor it and they don't know what happens. And- no, I think it's, it's out of control and they know yeah. it. I-, I love this moment actually here where as the car... You know, Superman's still in there. So whatever we may think of Gangbuster... At the time, when once we reflect back on this time when we know all the answers. When the, the van is about to hit them, Gangbuster pushes Guardian out of the way. Yeah. And takes it. Yeah. He doesn't jump out of the way. He pushes Guardian out of the way. So he's the one that gets 
and he can actually take it. And then he'll disappear and then reappear as Superman, so no one yeah, that's a with very, no one the wiser. It's a very cinematic moment where he, he sees it coming. Yeah. yeah, it's very it's very nice. Nicely done. Yeah. And of course you got all that Jerry Ordway art. I mean, when the van hits, it, you know, has an impact. The debris and the bubbles in the water and it, there's a lot of movement in all of it. And the art is beautiful in this. I just love it. I love it. And the moods also, you know, when they go underwater, you feel like you're underwater. It's great. You know what? Bibbo. Bibbo's uh, in there. Yeah, it's one of an early appearance by Bibbo, uh, before he became really you know, much more prominent in the books. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy Olsen basically is looking for uh, for Superman and <laughs> this bar. This bar was funny. I mean, yeah. I, I I enjoyed this because uh, you get to this bar and Jimmy's all kind of worried and, you know, he's young and, and this guy gets thrown out of the bar and you find out that he's the bartender. It's his bar. And every time he shouts out, last call, he gets There's a brawl. Out. There's a brawl and people are fighting. He gets in there and it looks like a saloon from the Old West. Everybody's fighting. A guy is hitting another one with a cue ball. I mean, chairs are flying. This is funny. This one lady's passed out. <laughs> and it's, it's just a funny brawl. And Bibbo is just perfect in this. He's just reading the newspaper. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it's great. It's not even the Daily Planet. No, what is it? Globe? Globe, Globe something. No brand loyalty. And I just love when they uh, they give this accent to some people. Hmm? So you can you read it with the accent, and Bibo has this accent, and it's fun. I love it. Eventually, he'll be friends with the whole Superman cast kind of thing, and the whole Superman is my favorite. It's going to be his, his shtick, and he'll be wanting to go on adventures with Superman, help out Superman, and he'll eventually own his own bar. So this is really, really early for him. He just looks like an old boxer. Yeah. Well, he's... You know, one of these catchers that got hit in the face and the nose a lot, and cauliflowered ears. Missing and, teeth. Know, Missing teeth. Yeah, this big nose. You know it's broken. Just looks like an old punching bag boxer. Love him. That's one of the things. When Superman arrives at that bar. Yeah, yeah. Eventually. Like, Bibbo's happy to have been trounced by Superman. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's in the hole where with all the other thugs. <laughs> yeah, because Superman does this very Superman-y thing where he just basically rips through the, <laughs> the floor and just breaks the floor, makes people fall in holes, and then rips a big hole with Jimmy on it and just pulls out Jimmy. Do you think it's really Superman-y? I thought it was like, I mean, obviously it's a feat of strength. <laughs> yeah. But I thought it was like a maybe a manifestation of his disturbed psyche at this point that he would go through the floor, that he would arrive in the basement oh, and, I didn't and think rip that. out, you know... Suddenly, hands come out of the ground and grab the you know, thugs and pull them down. I didn't think about that. I like just... he's like a zombie coming out of the ground. What? What is happening? Why is? Why is this the trick he chooses? Uh, I didn't and he think bra- about that. And you know, after that, he's got to say, "Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll pay for the floor <laughs> to, to, to the owner." But the owner is like too happy that these guys finally got their lesson. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's I... like a, a strange moment for me. It is kind of a strange moment. Not I. Well, yeah. It is kind of strange. I just, I just thought it was kind of Superman-y because he just breaks stuff. He wouldn't come into the door. He would just pop through the wall, you know, and that's what I... I never thought that it's from the basement. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just ripping well, things. I'm just wondering because I know Gangbuster seems to maybe travel through the sewers, partly. Yeah. He jumps from building to building, but maybe he travels through the sewers and then there's like parts of this night where Superman is... Out of it, and yeah. he's still gangbuster. Why, why wouldn't become gangbuster again? Why wouldn't Superman just fly in through the door? Why wouldn't he? Why? Yeah, yeah exactly. he comes why? from the sky. Why is he in the basement of this place? I have no idea. Like I tried to figure out, maybe you know, um, maybe it was like the safest thing to do with 
like for Jimmy. Jimmy's in the middle of some thugs. Superman walks in. I, I mean, don't know. Superman walking into anywhere just saying, hey, guys, just, just lay off Jimmy. And nobody would touch Jimmy. You know what? It is kind of disturbing. This is very yeah. Batman stuff, actually. This is how Batman beats people up in <laughs> Batman versus Superman. <laughs> you know, you grab him from, from the shadows. and Yeah. So it's an odd moment. Physically, it's bizarre because I'm pretty sure if you got pulled through the floor this way, you would be killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you would. I mean, they're going through the floor. It's it's more than just his arms. It's just like they are going through the floor as well, and great mm. expressions on them. But it's a really weird moment. It's a weird moment because Superman once again he's not smiling. He's no, he standing. still has that, um, and yet it is a humorous moment. It is. This is Superman at his lowest, really. Still. Even though we're not really addressing it. To me, it's like it was a... It's like Superman over going over the edge a bit. It is. And we, we see the Daily Planet, which is... Yeah, this whole subplot with the... Uh, yeah, that's kind the, of... Yeah, that's from the Superman books. Not really tied to Invasion, but will it be? I don't know. But everything that happens uh, on through at least... Until we get to page 19 is basically people looking for Superman to give him the message. Yeah. The message is meet up with Captain Adam, meet up with the government, whatever. The invasion is proceeding and there's something happening with the heroes. He's missed 20 hours of this. So he's being filled in things that we already know. Where was he? We don't... I, he was gangbuster. And and uh, coming up is a great moment uh, where he actually addresses uh, some of the stress he has. Because uh, he meets up with Captain Adam. He tells him that he has to go to, you know, negotiate a truce or some right, ceasefire, ceasefire or whatever. And he has to wear a wire and everything. And uh, in, in one panel on page 20, he says, uh, It's a strange feeling. The fate of the world rests in the negotiating skills of a Kansas farm boy. And that's what Superman truly is. I mean, I know he's from Krypton and he has this Kryptonian heritage. But he's been raised up like a kid from Kansas. So, I mean, that's a lot to bear. I think I kind of like that little moment because that's, that's a real thing for Superman. Everybody sees him as this demigod, but he sees himself as this kid from Kansas. Yeah, like everyone, he has insecurities. And in this moment where we know as readers and it seems the superheroes and the world knows that they can trust Superman with this. That he is, mm -hmm. he is the best among us and he can negotiate for the entire world, even though he is in a way an outsider. He doesn't know. You know that's his humility. That he doesn't yeah. know that, that he's necessarily the best choice. But people look to him and he takes on that responsibility and he'll do the best he can with it. Not that it requires much negotiation. He gets told something and then has to leave. Yeah, basically. Because domineers are assholes. Uh, As was often proven. <laughs> well, they're asses. Uh, he comes in there, you know, trying to talk a little bit, and he just, Dominator says, hey, pip, 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 pipe down there, Superboy, gather your superheroes, uh, we're taking them. So there's... Yeah. And Superman go. tries to, you know, debate with them that, you know, well, our world is not uni unified. Yeah. We have many countries. Whatever choice, we can't tell heroes that they've got to surrender, they're each going to make their own choice. Yeah. We are a society of, you know, based on freedom. And uh, I don't think dominators understand that. No. Well, their caste system would mean that their leaders should tell lower caste members to do something and they would do it. So oh. they don't understand that we all have our own consciences and their own opinions and our own liberties. And most of these aliens, and aliens are very often like this. I think that's maybe the, I don't know how overt is going to be, but that's maybe the, the clash here where each of these alien races all look kind of cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we look at aliens, and I suppose that's pretty racist of me, but when we look at dominators, they all look the same. When we yeah. look at 
Kuns, we, we know there are different types, but They're within the their same. subgroups, they all look the same. Thanagarians all look the same. They all seem to have a, the same culture. The yeah. whole planet has one culture. Which is weird. Which is often the case in science fiction, and because it's yeah. like a shortcut, Actually, our, shorthand for something else. Our version of ourselves in the future is often something like that. Especially in the old sci-fi things, where we all have this pantsuit with the V on it. Or we're all dressed the same. What we do have is individuality, and yeah. I think it's one of the things that the Dominators fear. Because we have the metagene, we have different superheroes with different powers, so we can't be pigeonholed. There's not, like, one trick to beating us because we are so different from one another, and that's exemplified by the superheroes themselves and their power sets. Uh, but it's true of humanity as well. So they're coming here and expecting us to all play by the same rule book, which we don't. And that's true of the countries of Earth and the, the heroes. And one of the things that shows that they don't understand individuality is that they say, we need all your metahumans, so get your heroes together. And what about the villains? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We can't control those guys, first of all. Nobody can control we those cannot guys. Contr- we can't control those guys. And they won't sacrifice themselves for <laughs> Earth. So what, what is, you know, they don't know the difference between we must all be the same. So if Superman tells it's very narrow people view. to do this, they should all do this. Yeah, it's a very narrow view of Earth and how we function. Which is, you know, kind of weird because isn't that always how we see other people also in our little bigoted yeah. mind? And that's how the, the aliens are represented. It's normal that they don't understand that we're about individuality. And these aliens are all identical, so we can probably find their one weakness, because they all have that weakness, and they have that weakness as a society and as a culture, and we can we can beat them through it. That's often what happens. Yeah. And so there's that clash here where all the, like the alien alliance is all made up of members that have differences but aren't collaborating necessarily. Yeah, they have a common goal, but... As we know... They all want to, once that's done, they're all going to turn on one another. Exactly. So there's no real collaboration. Exactly. It's not about making my skills match up to your skills and combining our skills. Well, eventually I, it is, but eventually I want to turn that skill against you. Exactly. We had that feel in the early books when we started reading Invasion. They're united against Earth, uh, the Alliance there. They're, They're united against Earth, but they are not really united. They don't like each other, and they are going to turn on each other. I mean, I hope so. I don't no. remember how it ends, but I kind of hope we get to see some well, there were some, uh, some fractures in the alliance. There were some the harsh words between the goons there for a while. and I want to see like a feeding frenzy. I wanna, oh, well, yeah. I we wanna, all want to see that. I, wanna, I want them to turn on, on each other. <laughs> I don't know if that happens. I, well, yeah, I want the Dominators to like, feel it. The, the, this was a mistake. <laughs> they, they thought they were, too, they were so smart and yeah. using everything everybody else but that everybody else was using them and then suddenly you smoosh can't wait till the smooshy fish people with the pods come in yeah something something Uh, (laughs) maybe that's that's a way off but i just want to see one of these dominators get punched in the mouth because of the big teeth these these piranha teeth yeah i just want them to i just want a couldn't to just headbutt one yeah and then well this will all lead i mean they don't listen to superman anyways they just say you know you're just our pawn here kryptonian go home yeah and tell everyone and then you know we're getting and this is not the first time we we've seen it We've seen the call to that big meeting, and now we're we're actually seeing images of it. So eventually, that that all leads into invasion number two. Once in a while, in these you know these big panels where there are multiple superheroes, yep, we always see a little glimpse of somebody we shouldn't. And there's there's I mean we can yes. see Manhunter right. and there's Firestorm and Green Lantern and you know flashes there and all of a sudden we see Batman's ears you know in the distance and yeah. you know a couple of people who invited but uh, Infinity Inc. It looks like 
maybe Spider-Man is there. Yeah, Spider-Man's there. And over here we have like Doctor Strange. Yeah, you could know. be, could be. It's kind of, I always like that. Spider-Man when have, for sure. It's Spider-Man for sure. I mean, I mean. We'll but, put yeah. the image on the uh, website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And, and yeah, and it, just enjoy that all the time. Every time that happens, there's always like one or two iconic from the other guys, but not really, but kind of, but not really. You know, is it Cyclops or is it, you know, the color commando, whatever his name is, who has that one thing that looks like Cyclops? Mm. Why is Red Tornado facing the wrong way? Because <laughs> he's a dumbass. He's facing Batman. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the arrow. Maybe that arrow on the on the head is also on the other side. I, I mean, know. who is this? Is that uh, Omak? Or... I thought it was Nuclon. Oh, maybe it's Infinity Nuclon. Inc. I don't yeah. know. We'll get to see that crowd scene. Oh, that'll be funny. Yeah, closer. So I oh. like these crowd scenes. Oh, I love them. I I'm love sure them. artists kind of resent them. <laughs> oh, they're they're probably a lot of work, but they're so gratifying when you're a reader. I just love them. I just yeah. like to see a big crowd. So, any final thoughts on the issue? Uh, you know what? This one, like the previous Superman comic, beautiful comic, a lot of stuff going on, but it's still clear. The narrative is clear. We have a couple of plot points from other Superman issues, but it's not interfering with what's going on. It's just... So I, I really enjoyed The Adventures of Superman, like I really enjoyed uh, Superman. Yeah, uh, last and time. they gave him a... Last time, he fought some Thanagarians, and it was yeah. kind of a side thing. This time, it's still like the back of the issue. It's like the last three pages really are invasion-driven, and mm-hmm. that's it. But um, but they do give Superman a starring role, an important yeah. role as our ambassador, our, like the envoy, uh, which gives him a, a prominence that I think he deserves. Yeah. Even though, because of all his subplots... He can't really be central to the invasion crossover. It's a bit like he should have the Captain Adam role, but he's involved in too much stuff that he couldn't be used for that. Well, his what seems to be his mental state is kind of... I don't think he could be in Captain Adam's shoes right now. Captain Adam, as far as I've seen him in the invasion, he's been you know, really uh, reliable, on point. You know, he's always been this go-to guy, and I don't think Superman could actually do that right now. He's... He always looks tormented for some odd reason. It would have been an interruption in his through line. And as we'll see much later now, because we're not, we're not going to another Superman issue right away, sadly. Sadly. As we'll see, like Invasion is kind of the last straw in his, in that build up to something. He'll soon have to make some, some important choices. If he were like the commander of the forces, like Captain Adam is yeah. set to be, then that would have interrupted the whole thing. And then he wouldn't have been at the right place at the end of Invasion for, it's like I said, the whole, the Superman books, that's what I said last time, the Superman books are so very well coordinated. They can't be, the, the story is planned out, you know, a long time in advance across several creative teams. Mm-hmm. And we can't really interrupt that for this little crossover here. We can still make Superman important and still participate, but somehow they've, re- you know, they've found a way to still keep this within his story. It's incredible how important Superman is when, you know, a whole crossover will not interfere with this basic plot line or his basic story. Yeah. I mean, this is a big thing. I don't think we've seen that. Well, I haven't seen that a lot where, you know, somebody's story just, you know what, he's too important to mess up. So we're not going to just participate in this whole crossover thing. We're going to be in it. But even though he is Superman. Especially the big stars. Because yeah. a Well, he can't get bigger than Superman late 80s. Right. But it's like Superman and, and we haven't even gotten to a Batman issue yet. And Really, yeah. And he only, you know, I think only Detective Comics actually participated in Invasion. Mm-hmm. So they kept their bigger stars 
a little on the side of the action and set up newer heroes like Captain Adam yeah. to you know to be more important. Well, that's cool because Captain Adam is a great character. I like him. Yeah, and he, at this time he was you know really more or less kind of becoming an A-lister, mm-hmm. uh, and by the next crossover thing that would all be destroyed. But <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but you know what? I, I've been reading a lot of uh, Justice League International, right? And he's in there also, yeah. and he's he's great in there. So I kind of like him. I like him where he is and right it, now. It makes and, sense as a character that he would be, he has military training. Yeah. He's got an actual rank that yeah. he would be a commander of forces. Superman isn't a warrior. No, he's, he's a leader. He's a leader, but he's a kid from Kansas. Right. He's more of an inspirational yeah. kind of leader. He's an everyman in a sense, even though he's a Superman. Well, we'll see how this develops. Obviously, we still got quite a few issues before we get to yeah. invasion Battle. number two, Battleground Earth. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there. We'll take a small break now. When we come back, we'll talk about Guardian and the Newsboy Legion a bit. Just a bit. Just a bit. A little bit. A little bit. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime. Never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic Comic books. books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-hosts, the Irredeemable Shag or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www. Viewsfromthelongbox.com. And we're back. And we're back. Second part of each First Strike Invasion podcast is a little discussion about um, a character. Usually the character that stars in the issue, which normally would be Superman, but we did that last time. Yeah, we, we did two Supermans back to back. And now uh, the other character, which is uh, Guardian, uh, is very prominent in both Superman comics. So this time we're going to talk a little bit about Guardian. Yeah, we talked about him a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Uh, explaining what he's doing here and his connection to the Kirbyverse, uh, so to speak. But uh, was this like uh, one of your first introductions to the character? Yeah, or? yeah, really. First time. Well, it's not the first time I've seen him because uh, I've, you know, I've had the who's who's. You've the, dabbled. I've dabbled. I knew of him. I knew he was, you know, linked to the Newsboy Legion. I didn't know he was always part of the Newsboy Legion, or you know, I didn't, I didn't know everything about him. I didn't know he was a Kirby creation. That's for that's for sure. Yeah. I'm kind of I, I find that cool because I like the old Kirby stuff. It's very cartoony. Very I don't know how to explain how I like the Kirby stuff, but I like it in the same way 
And this is going to be like a weird thing. If you don't know Doctor Who, I like the Kirby stuff the same way that the Doctor pilots the TARDIS. Okay. Because piloting the TARDIS is kind of weird. He's doing all kinds of stuff. Sometimes he's ringing bells and just whacking on stuff. And sometimes... And and it's, it's crazy... And it's whimsical, and you know what? Who's to say that's not how you pilot a TARDIS, right? I think the way you're supposed to pilot a TARDIS is have six people probably <laughs> around the console. Well, I don't know, but yeah. and, and that's the same type of thing that I like with the Kirby stuff. I like the way that it's kind of weird, you know, steering wheels aren't steering wheels, but they are steering wheels, you know, there are yeah. buttons everywhere. and I, I think what, the way I like to um, describe Kirby, especially his 70s work, which with this actually connects to is that it's pure comics it is okay he, when he started out when he's doing you know the guardian and captain america before that and uh, boy commandos and man the original one of the original manhunters they were creating the genre basically yeah it didn't exist and they were creating it and building on it and you know we've talked about this before how in uh, the lonely hearts romance comics podcast we talked about jack kirby and joe simon as also the inceptors of the romance comics genre yeah. i mean nothing there's nothing they couldn't do really they were really. creating everything and nothing seemed out of bounds and then you know again creates the marvel universe <laughs> with stanley <laughs> basically so he's he's adding to it and adding to it and adding to it by the time he joins dc in the late uh, in the early 70s and creates the fourth world, it's turned into what I call Jack Kirby's gospel. Because it is a... The fourth world is a multi-religious saga kind of thing, where the forever people are basically hippies, new age kind of groove. Uh, The new gods are a pantheon, much like the Greek gods or whatever. They are. Um, Mr. Miracle is Jesus he is he? Is he? Yeah. He's a messiah that preaches freedom through his actions. Well, you uh, can't get any. He's shown in the cross-like yeah. positions. Uh, he was, you know, but he's also got a Moses kind of thing going, where you know, like the trading of babies. Yeah, and the, yeah. Um, it's very, it's very, it's linked to it, all of that stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a like an allegory one to one. No, no, no. Superimposition. It's, it's all it, linked, but it is a sort of there. There is a link to yeah. religiousness or. Faith in diff- of different kinds, or yeah. myth of different kinds, really, because it's it's a grand it's, it's celebration like, of mythology. It's like a science fiction myth, but it's okay. based on. And each book really had like this different groove where you could sort of point to something like that. And the Jimmy Olsen book to me was very much a. It was the first one that's it started there. Okay. And to me, it was the story of a prophet, the prophet of a new era, because Jack Kirby creates the Marvel Universe, is linked to the Marvel Universe for like the first 10 years or so, and then moves to DC. Mm-hmm. Let's create something new. So he's changing, he's like, it's like a conversion kind of thing. Okay. And Jimmy Olsen is very much, at this point, the representation of an older religion, like the Silver Age. He's okay. the Silver Age. Because Jimmy Olsen is best known for those stupid Silver Age stories where he yeah. turns into a giant turtle uh, or an elastic band or whatever. <laughs> they were awesome, not stupid, but yes, yes I do understand. But silly. Yeah, they were silly. Silly and amusing. Silly. Okay. So Jimmy Olsen is this character that in his own book, which started in the 50s and really ended in like 1970 as that it was still doing stuff like that. So okay. the, the whole Jimmy Olsen experience is a Silver Age experience with little short stories it is. that are silly and that do anything lasted like that longer than most books, right? <laughs> and definitely that it should have. And at the end, it didn't know what to do. It was reprinting yeah. old stories. Was... He was basically Archie Digest. 
at the end. <laughs> and so Jack Kirby takes it over and changes it dramatically to what we're talking about, like an action, an action science fiction comic, high concept. A Kirby comic. Because right? I, I read one of those comics where Jimmy Olsen finds this car that belongs to the Forever People. Sure. And he's with... The, it was like the Whiz Wagon or something? Something like that. Yeah. And he's with the, the Newsboy Legion or something like that. And, yeah, and they, get, they get transported to some place. I mean, there's like tunnels underground or driving yeah. this giant thing. And then there's like... There are DNA aliens everywhere. A completely different experience reading I think, that I comic. I think groove right? is, a, is a good word here. And, there was a certain groove and the, there. And the first issue of that, Stars Superman, uh, was infamously, um, Jack Kirby's art was changed on the face of Superman because Superman was off type or something. And somebody, the editor asked another artist to redraw the faces, which is... That would have been awful. It's awful. I it is see, awful. I, I have to see this. I, I have the omnibus here. I'll show it to you. <laughs> but in that first issue... Jimmy rejects Superman. There is a, a scene where Superman tries to interfere or protect him or whatever, and he rejects that wow. and goes on to be like a, a leader for the and a mentor for the Newsboy Legion and goes on to become a hero in that world, in that science fiction action world. So it's like, hey, Superman, I've always been adjunct to your heroism. Okay. I've always been your pal, but pal no more. I am a hero in my own right. And he's been so for like 15 years at this point, and yet always been subservient to Superman. Hmm. And this is the point where he says, no, I can have my own adventures. This is the Kirby gospel. The Kirby gospel is do your own thing. It is that. Because he's doing his own thing. He's left Marvel under Stanley's thumb no more. And he's been given a lot of freedom uh, to create the fourth world. Well, yeah. He's doing his own thing. And his comics are about doing your own thing. They're about that freedom. Mr. Miracle is about that freedom. Jimmy Olsen is about that freedom. Wow. Be leaving Superman behind and saying, I'm going to have my own adventures. It doesn't mean Superman's not going to show up from time to time. But suddenly we're in this other world where Superman is not required. Ooh. You know? And well, yeah, that's, 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 that's sounds, what it is. Yeah. And, and he becomes, Jack Kirby's very experimental. And one of the things he does is create this world, this mythological world, with elements from all across comics history. So, you know, the, that's why there's a cowboy in the Forever People. Well, I can see that. And that's why death is on skis in the New Gods. <laughs> yeah. So he and, like, you know, Darkseid's disciples are all weird. You know, there's, there's one guy dressed as a Prussian general. There's one guy dressed as a Renaissance assassin. There's no rhyme or reason to this. Why would these aliens adopt human dress from whatever period? But it's about putting in every possible element that's in comics in this blender. Wow. And that's what Jack Kirby did with those comics, with uh, his version of The Losers, which was also did at DC, with Kamandi, uh, Last Boy on Earth, with even with The Demon, which he didn't want to do. It's all these different genres that you don't put together normally and that don't that aren't necessarily really superheroes, and just mashing them together in this high-concept, colorful, action, Kirby-crackle world. Well, it, it is pure comics. Uh, at the time, it wasn't very popular. Well, I can imagine, because it was out there it was it's kind of weird and still today and it suffers that today it looks a bit dated especially the dialogue and we're, as an older reader at the time at the time i wasn't reading this i was a baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was a baby i was a baby at the time but today discovering these stories for the first time i'm entranced i'm it, it speaks to me to the point where i'm 
basically spouting some sort of sociocultural essay <laughs> at you right now. Yeah, you are. But <laughs> it's great, though, because I, I, I remember my first uh, reaction to some Kirby fourth world stuff. And to me, it was it was just too much. It was just too much. And, of course, I was a bad bit. I was a small <laughs> yeah. thing. I was a, a cocoon. Uh, and, and, you know, I was, I, and now when I see some Kirby stuff, I, I'm kind of excited because it's, you know, it, it, it embodies, I guess I didn't really know, but it kind of embodies this comic book freedom, this uh, utopian possibilities, endless things that can be done just because it's comics and it's beautiful. Yeah. I think Jack Kirby could never be bored. His because brain must yeah. be so active. He all the time. kept creating things, and you know, uh, when it didn't work out at DC, he went to Marvel and created. Uh, what, what were the comics he was doing? He was doing the Eternals, which was basically New Gods. He was doing Devil Dinosaur of all things. He was doing <laughs> Machine Man. I mean, well, so, he needed. I think he needed something off the beaten path because his brain was not on the beaten path. I mean, he, once you've created everything at Marvel, right? Yeah, more or less. He couldn't stay on that track he was just he would get probably bored i don't know the guy i i not don't know much about the guy but he would probably bored to death doing avengers why would he want to do avengers when he can do dinosaurs <laughs> well let's put dinosaurs in avengers and, and <laughs> this is this is the dna of comics that yeah. you can put anything in there in superhero comics are a mishmash you can do anything with superhero comics you can have magic you can have sci-fi you can have aliens you can have time travel you can have so you can have dinosaurs you can have Every genre mixed up together. See, you can only do that in comics. I think it's only in comics where you can... Where it's acceptable. Well, where the reader will accept it. Because in every movie, magic is always something that's, you know, it's not magic. It's just an other I think they're even going to go that way with Doctor Strange. You think? Kind of looks like oh, there's uh, you just manipulating reality, but because all the the trailers, I don't want to get off track, but you know the trailers kind of look like we're doing Inception, we're doing yeah. The Matrix. Uh, it doesn't feel like Ditko's weird magical landscapes. It feels like you know it feels very mechanical, like you're peeling away at reality, like there's yeah. dimensions and that's scientifically explainable. Well, kind of like they did with Thor, where Asgard is just. Some right. type of alien technology. Right. And we're dismissing magic, where, whereas magic is very entertaining. Yeah. I mean, I, I like So maybe the magic. CMU doesn't really have real magic in it. Maybe. But then again, you know, how maybe. does the hammer calculate your worth? You know what? <laughs> exactly. Just... And, and, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with having magic in that in these worlds. And in comics, when you read comics, you accept it. There's a suspension of disbelief that is huge. But for some odd reason... In TVs and movies, we don't get that. No, they pull back. Yeah. They pull back on stuff. So Guardian and the Newsboys are very um, normal (laughs) on the Kirby scale. Yeah, I think they are. They're very normal. very normal. But they were brought into this this crazy science fiction world where, like underground, there was this whole other world and... Like people living there and nomads riding those highways and, and he created a whole world underneath us for his stories to, to happen in. In addition to Intergang and all of that stuff was in Jimmy Olsen. A lot of that, the Superman cartoon that we both love, owes something to this, this era of Superman and thus to the Kirby 70s stuff. There was another guard, I mean, Guardian still actually appears in, I'm not talking New 52, but before New 52 at least. Yeah, well, he's in, uh, I've seen him in the Young Justice uh, cartoon. Okay. Yep. He's in there, and he works for Cadmus, which is all. Yeah, because there's a connection to Superboy. Yeah. Connor. 
Yeah, they uh, created yeah. Connor basically, and yeah. uh, so and it's it's that's a great show. I, I yeah. kind of like and it. And they they kept Guardian in the Superman comics through uh, until the yeah. New Fifty Two. He was still hanging around. Uh, he was after after a while. He led the Science Police. Okay, they started out like they they gave what? Metropolis a Science Police. Okay, so Science Police started. In Metropolis now? Well, because Science Police that's is what in, they decided. In Legion the, of Superheroes, yes. and... but in the late 2000s, they decided this was the case. Okay, they created like the I guess the the Metropolis Special Crimes Unit became the Science, Science police. police. Really, high tech police, and well, that's kind of fun. And Guardian was kind of like well, the it's kind of foreshadowing. Captain. Okay, yeah, they did that, and there was another Guardian that I really, really, really liked, but they never did anything with him. When um, Grant Morrison did the Seven Soldiers of Victory, yeah. Series of miniseries. Guardian was one of them. You know, there was like a Bulleteer. Yeah. There was a, um, a Zatanna series in there. There was a Shining Knight. Anyway, there were seven. Yeah. <laughs> they, they weren't there were seven soldiers. They weren't the seven soldiers, the original seven soldiers. No. Although some might share names. No, they were like seven heroes who all participated in the same adventure or against okay. the same invasion from like fairies or... So I got to read that. I saw, I it's, saw it's that. It's really cool. Because each series has a different... I mean, it's all Grant Morrison, so it's all weird, but it's all got a different feel. And he's... He, I mean, Morrison does a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, the classic Seven Soldiers, I mean, they're from the old crossovers and the old things, and and he would do that. Bring them back and make them cool. Yeah. That's... What he did is make... The idea was to have uh, interlocking miniseries where all the heroes were never in a team together, but all dealt with the same problem, like unbeknownst were working together. Okay. Unbeknownst to them. Yeah. That sounds so, kind of cool. Yeah, it's cool. And Guardian was one of them. And it wasn't this Guardian. It was a black man uh, living in, I think it was New York. And similar costume, still a Guardian. And he worked with newsboys that all worked for a newspaper called The Guardian. Okay. So it wasn't just like these four or five kids. It was... It was a whole... It was like a whole... A organi- company. Yeah, like a bit like uh, informants... Like, you know, Sherlock Holmes is informants on the street kind of thing. Like, okay. And so there was like the, the, all these newsboys and they were collecting information and the newspaper was collecting information and feeding it to the Guardian who was like the ma- kind of a mascot for the newspaper. It was all like, and he had like an adventure, whatever, which connected to the greater adventure. But yeah, I thought this was, uh, this was like a cool take on the character and a different Guardian, but uh, one I would have liked to see explored. See, I didn't think of the Guardian as a legacy. Is he type hero? But I guess he is. Well, he's legacied himself. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, he is a legacy hero because there's also a Teen Titans connection. Really? Yeah, the character Mal, yeah. uh, the Herald, or whatever he's been called, different yeah. things. He the was guy with the flute. The guy with the flute, yeah, the yeah. pipe. Or it's I like love pipe. my Titans, yeah. This guy was for a, like, he's had several identities while working with the Titans. And one of them is Guardian? And one of them was Guardian. Oh, wow. I did not know that. And yeah, it's like, like, I think the suit had like super strength maybe. Like it was like an exoskeleton, but it looked just like that with the shield and all that. Well, we can do And that. so he, he played the part of the Guardian at some point. At huh. some point. Maybe like late 60s before Jack okay. Kirby used them. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure because I'm not a, not really a Titans expert especially that era yeah, yeah like the post bob haney era i'm not very strong on i'll go check because i have a bunch of them that i kind of go through them once in a while but i don't really yeah i kind of stopped at hawk and dove because you know yeah kind of don't like them but <laughs> but the, you know that that would but, be part of the era i'm, I'm less but yeah i'm I, I it's i mean i have later stuff and I, sure. i'll go check them out because yeah that's yeah he's fun. in there yeah mal was the guardian guardian 2 so wow. he is a legacy hero he is Wow. Just not 
I mean, his prime legacy is a clone of himself. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. You can't, you can't beat that. Yeah. You can't beat that. But, you know, you, it's also a hero with four, four or five sidekicks. Mm-hmm. Four originally, five. And he's, now. he's also inspiring, and he's very much on the right side of everything. And he's just a good guy. Right? Yeah. Guardian's just... I think he's got a strong look. Yeah, well, it's very classic superhero boots. Simple. You know, strong man shorts because they're not underwear. They're strong yeah. man shorts. And they're... the shield is really just, it was like the same shape as the policeman's yeah, it's badge, badge. Yeah. that he wore. So they're just like like a nice visual to that. Simple, yeah. but really the real heroes were the Newsboy Legion, and then Jimmy joined them. So like Jimmy Olsen and the Newsboy Legion basically yeah. were the the real heroes, like scrappy kind of guys from the streets. And I think Jimmy Olsen can can fit that mold as well. I think so. Um, he can use big words. I just like that one of these kids is named Big, big Words. words. Big just, Words, Scrapper, Tommy, Flip, and uh, which one I'm missing? Gabby. Gabby. All right. The talker. I, I I just know Scrappy and Big Words because I mean it's funny. It's just a funny. His nickname is Big Words, and he uses that vocabulary. And he, huh? yeah, his he doesn't have that accent because I just love these. Yeah, kids they're all accents. Brooklyn kids, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you grab the creep? What started out of this? I just love it. And I wonder how the, this whole start... I mean, I'm not sure how the Newsboy Legion started or the Boy Commando started or whichever team of kids started first, but I, I've got to wonder if it's not like, oh, this is like the adventurer version of the Little Rascals. Yeah, or, probably You is. know, that kind of thing. Probably is, because Little Rascals like, pretty much started everything, right? Started Western everything. civilization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eastern philosophy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, I mean, yeah. I think this probably... See, that's exactly Jack Kirby. Let's yeah. take this thing and make it comic books. Yeah. It was basically his, his shtick throughout his life. Let's just take this thing. Let's take mythology, like Thor. Let's take mythology, turn it into comics. Let's take uh, Soldier, you know, the Warfront, turn it into comics. And whatever he did, he, that's what he did. So, Little Rascals, turn it into comics? Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I think it is. I, I, you know what? I think Kirby is a comic converter. Everything he touches turns into comics. Yeah. If that's not into a comic right now. I, I'm sure there's like crackle. There should <laughs> be crackle. Just crackle at the time. But you know what? I mean, it's and you wake it's up incredible. And a comic book. It's incredible. Uh, once again, this superhero guardian guy, I just love him. He's just the best personification of maybe a good cop. And then tying it to Suicide Slum as they did. Yeah. So you know, he's a got beacon a, of hope. They've got a reason to be there because it would have meant that Guardian was Metropolis's first superhero. Mm-hmm. If in the forties he was in Suicide Slum, really? yeah. And Metropolis isn't mentioned otherwise, and there's no Golden Age Superman in <gasps> post-crisis continuity. I guess Guardian is the first superhero hero in Metropolis. Just like Green Lantern was the first superhero in Gotham. Well, yeah. Well, Alan Scott was. Oh, yeah, yeah. The good Green Lantern. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I always liked Alan Scott. The hell with Batman. (laughs) The original Green Lantern was the, you know, OG in in, Gotham. I know that's one of the reasons they sort of decided to phase out the Justice Society, like in the New 52. Mm -hmm. No, there can't have been heroes before the, the iconic guys. And yeah, I get it, but I get it, but uh, I, I preferred I preferred the DC universe with a strong history. Yeah, and that even the heroes of to, the heroes of today weren't pale copies of what went before. They were yeah inspired by their their forebears and yeah, inspired. just doing it better and stronger and faster and yeah. Well, they had powers. A lot of the older guys didn't really have powers. I mean, you had the Flash, like Jay Garrick, that had powers, and you know Alan Scott that had powers, but. 
you know, you had the Adam who was a boxer, and yeah. and you know, half uh, of them were boxers. Yeah, and you know, Wildcat was a boxer, and you know, they just wanted to do the right thing, and just I love, I love these guys for that. They would be inspirations for people with actual powers. So I mean, uh, yeah, I kind of missed that too because yeah. I was, I was, I was a big fan of the just a society and all these old guys. And the DC universe with a strong history can do stories like. The ones we've just read, where yeah. the newsboys and the guardian can be an integral part of the issue, and you know the golden age still happened. It's all part of that same continuum. Well, it it kind of sets the tone for everything that is social about superheroes. If you have these old guys in there, if Superman's not the first one or the first one with uh, extraordinary powers, then socially for generations we knew about superheroes and we trust some of them and we wouldn't trust some of the other ones and it would be part of what we know as soon as you have all of a sudden this super strength godlike being that comes from another planet i know nobody knows he's raised in you know kansas and he's a you know good kid everybody thinks he's this could be destroyer of earth and he comes out of nowhere and he comes out of nowhere and and nobody's there to you know they they just don't know anything about superheroes but if you had, like, the Flash, the original Flash, Jake Eric, and these other guys who maybe fought in a world war, and you know that superheroes exist, and, you know, socially we accept it. Yeah. We're going to wait to see what this guy does before we judge him or praise him or... And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean... There's absolutely nothing wrong They don't have to be the first to be the best. They don't, don't have, have to be the first to be the best. They don't have to be the first to be the best. That's, that's I mean, right. And they, they could and should be inspired by others. And that takes nothing away from them. <laughs> and that's your gospel. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to touch on Kirby uh, during this time. I, I'm yeah. sure, like, The Guardian was a limited subject, but somehow we went... We went to Kirby. We don't, we don't script we, this. No, we don't. Thank you, Bass. We'll uh, take another break and yeah. uh, read some of your comments on the flip side. Letters from the front. Stick around. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Letters from the front! <laughs> Down to a science now. Uh, these are letters about Superman number 26. Yeah, the, uh, the voodoo uh, thing. Yes, the voodoo episode. And uh, let's start on Twitter. That's a good place to start. Yep. Uh, new commenter, Zach Smith, Ooh. asks, Why are the bad aliens yellow with big teeth and fingernails and have the rising sun on their forehead? Oh, wait. <laughs> it's more of a comment on the picture. Yeah, yeah. Zach, I hope you're listening to the episodes as well. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> On Facebook, Mark M. Ryan uh, says uh, he's still missing this issue, but it was his first U.S. Superman comic. Really? I, this is I, where I, he started. I assume. I it's assume that's what he means. Bold choice. And he thought Invasion was a fine storyline. Thanks for sharing, blah, blah, blah. And then Martin Gray chimed in. Yes, it's a good issue. Um, looking forward to hearing it discussed. Again, I assume they have. I... <laughs> <laughs> this is like, we're assuming a lot over here. Well, Twitter and Facebook are a lot about people looking forward to it. 
Yeah, okay. And then the blog is more about people who have listened to it and now yeah. have comments. Right? And that's where the conversation basically is, right? Right. But on Facebook, we did have Michael Bailey, who's an, one of the Superman experts, aficionados. Okay. The real ones? <laughs> the real ones. One of the real ones uh, from uh, Crisis to Crisis and other podcasts. In, on Facebook said, I've been waiting for this episode, always a little nervous to hear people talk about this era because... It's well, important to him. Yeah, well, yeah, it always does that, right? And so let's look at his extended comment on the oh, blog itself. It's I thought that was Diablo Frank. No, Frank is <laughs> long, but a bit shorter than this. So of course, and and Michael did save some stuff okay. for later because he will have like three more Superman issues, okay, or two more. Now that you've listened to the Adventures one. Uh, there are two more chapters that are Superman specifically. So Michael is saving up. Well, I can't wait to hear what, uh, well, the pros have to say. Uh, well, let's see. I, I can't read it all because it's a full essay. But let's pick and choose some comments here. Even himself, he says, oh man, where to start? Yeah, hmm. well, exactly. Yeah, they say that every comic book fan has a personal golden age. And while I started buying the Superman books because of John Byrne in 1987, this was the era where getting the next issue became non-negotiable. And these run of issues mm -hmm. uh, made him a lifelong fan. At the top of the essay, he talks a lot <laughs> about uh, how going from Byrne to all these other creators and how really it was one of those moments where a solid creative team left and then just a solid creative team came on. Well, that's a good thing. Which is rare, fairly rare in comics. Yeah. Uh, he says, and that's the real key to why this run and then the next four years worth of comics are so special to me. Beyond being my Superman, it was the near perfect mix of plot and character, which we did talk about yeah. uh, quite a bit. Then he goes on to explain why he loves this Superman, why uh, a Superman that grew up thinking that he was human, uh, and then only later realized he was an alien. Uh, something that Byrne really kind of shrugged off a lot, but that these other creative teams later on kind of brought back, but okay. kept as second place well, to it's, his humanity. It's a it's it's a nice little thing, right? We we like that Superman relates really to humans, because if he didn't, he would just he would zod. He would be. He would zod. He would zod. I'm doing. I'm. I'm I like using, the verb. Yeah, I'm using zod zodding. as a verb. He would be zodding. The scene where Clark and the others are called into the office by Sarge Steele is a good example of his Superman. Uh, he says, uh, "Where is it?" He says, "Even though Clark is sleepy and a bit cranky, I love that he had enough of Steele's crap and stormed out." And he also says, "I especially liked how angry Superman was when the Thanagarians." begin their attack on Metropolis, to hell with Sarge Steele's orders. This was a Superman that had enough of the alien's shit. Well, it's, it's not... It's cute, he put little stars. I know. Like, he didn't want to write the word shit. We, we see it. We, we see Yeah, it. we love that word, actually. <laughs> just uh, shit, just use it all the time. Just. Actually, in French, it's not a curse. It's not a curse. We, 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 Merde. I, no, well, not even that. I mean, even shit. When I was young, I had a... Uh, I have a half-sister... And we lived in Texas during the summers, and she okay. was being raised in French, but was going to go to school in Texas. Wow. And then we realized, it's like board game night every night, because we're kids. Yeah. And uh, with the parents, and every time, you know, you fail a roll, it's always like, ah, oh, shit, ah, oh, shit, shit, yeah. shit, 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 shit. Yeah. Then we started to realize, oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> this five-year-old is going to school next year, and shit is not a problem, yeah. it's not a curse. Well, in French, it's not, because we, we say cut all the time, oh, yeah. and that, that's a turd. 
So, but we say shit in our French, and All the time. then it's and we it's actually not say shit. We don't say we don't say merde or, or cut. We just say shit, and that's not. Yeah, it's not. I wouldn't for say merde. That's like a well, France kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Merde, sacré bleu, merde. Well, they let Captain Picard say merde on the on Next Generation that's twice. That's right. Twice, that's right? On TV, breaking anyway, barriers. Uh, thank you for listening to our parentheses on. Uh, on shit. <laughs> so what was Mike Bailey saying? I said it got me. It got to me when I was twelve. This whole, you know, yeah. I'm not going to take this anymore. Invasion stuff uh, from Superman. It got to me when I was twelve, and this book was new. And uh, it still gets me when I'm forty, and the book is nearly three decades old. And then there's a little. There's a section I'm not going to read about uh, the Lois and Clark show and how uh, Baron Sunday was pretty good in live action, but this wasn't a major character in the comics or even mm-hmm. on TV by then. But I think the the, the show was on its last legs. On an ultra-personal note, he says, A few years after this issue came out, my dad picked up the Hot Rocks Greatest Hits Rolling Stones album. We would listen to that on our frequent car trips to visit my aunts, and the look on 14 or so year old Mike when Gimme Shelter came on while reading this issue must have been amazing. It was the first time I realized that Stern had used the lyric from that song as the title of this issue. This, uh, I, I'm just not a big uh, Rolling Stones fan, but I know this song. We all know these songs. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't realize it when we were reading the issue. Really? Either. Yeah. If you're just reading this and then the song comes on, it was, oh, yeah. And it's a song about war. It's a song, yeah. you know, it makes sense in this context. So thanks, Mike, for all the, and I'm sure you're going to have lots of comments about Gangbuster and Guardian and Brainiac. Cool. And uh, so we look forward to those, Mike. We actually, I really do. Because uh, I love this era of Superman, I, I haven't read them enough, enough and kind of like the uh, the old Justice League International, I plan on reading a lot more of this uh, of this Superman. Totally worth it. Uh, Chris Franklin from Supermates says a lot of stuff, but uh, <laughs> he does say that this was a very odd time for the title. Obviously, Byrne leaving the books in such a shape would have totally wrecked most titles. It's a testament to the creative teams involved that they picked up these threads and somehow made them work and didn't turn thousands of fans against the titles. Another aspect these creators balanced well in this era, although it's hard to see here, was Clark's humility and his confidence. He can have some doubts and be a bit self-effacing, but also be the confident leader the DCU needs. That aspect of Superman seems to have been lost in the last 20 years in Superman Returns, Man of Steel, BVS, and the comics starting sometime in the early 2000s. It might be some of the fallout from the 1990s. The 90s was like a weird place for everybody. <laughs> it was it was a weird place for, you know, music, art, uh, fashion, and comics. And comics, for sure. And, you know, Superman had a mullet for a while and uh, some weird-ass, large-collared black suit, which is going to be yeah, apparently in the Justice the next film movie. Yep. But, you know, it, it was like a weird place where, I don't know. So maybe it's some kind of fallout from that. Well, I think if you've got, like, a consistent Superman run going from 86, let's say, to by the time these creative teams really leave, you know, by the time of the Electric Superman, early uh, JLA okay, yeah. kind of stuff, if you've got a consistent run for about 10 years or more, then other people are going to be trying different things. It's, yeah. it's normal. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so it might... Or else we'd know. still have the Golden Age Superman or the Silver Age Superman, which... And then, then, then people probably go nuts and say he's really boring, like they already do, but you know. Uh, and uh, Chris says, you put a big smile on my face by using the old Adventures of Superman opening. Uh, hey, those memories run deep. That's really his favorite. 
the uh, George Reeves Superman. He had that nice jaw. George Reeves. <laughs> he had that Superman jaw from the old comics. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of it. Oh, me I either, admit, but, I, but I just know him. I yeah. just, you know, I've seen a little bit of him and, you know. Yeah, but every I try to start every episode with a different clip from an invasion, an alien invasion or an alien coming to Earth story. And Superman coming to Earth, like that, that opening had a strange visitor from another planet which yeah. made it you know okay well it's it's perfect it fits and then i put in some zodding some <laughs> zodding in there as well it's yeah like, we need to be that i collapsed zodding. the clips let's go on to paul hicks our poor australian friend from the yeah. besieged continent yeah you guys must be still building up <laughs> still rebuilding after invasion i love just about every superman book from burns renovation up till zero hour it was truly lightning in a bottle and i doubt anyone could replicate the feat of editing coordination well another it, thumbs up for the yeah. era uh joe x says gangbuster jose delgado might make a nice addition to the supergirl show contrasting their very different styles Showing that someone's still fighting for the little guy while everyone else is looking up in the sky. Hmm. I like it. I like it also. I like it. It's, it's a good idea. And it would be like a minority character. Yeah. So always good. That would be cool. Get on that, WB. Rob Kelly from a Fill in Water podcast says uh, that he's never been a big fan of Superman. Well, that's that's not a surprise. <laughs> Now, a lot of people don't like Superman because they think he's overpowered and everything. Well, he says relate. he's never found the, uh, the character's moral center to be a detriment. If anything, he liked that DC had one hero who was not suffering from endless doubt and or cynicism. I think that's where the Kurt movies go so wrong, but that's a discussion for never. <laughs> uh, Gamble and Breeding are perfect artists for Superman, solid and dynamic, but not too individualistic. I've always found Superman, with some exceptions, uh, works better when drawn classically. It, yeah, that's very true. Except our good friend Di Diablo Frank begs to differ. Really? <laughs> I can paint me surprised. Well, uh, here's the section I will call unpopular opinions. Okay. <laughs> it's just Frank. Okay. It's just Frank's. Stuff. I I know. On that particular <laughs> point, uh, where he disagrees with uh, Rob, I completely disagree with Rob. In that, I think Superman is his worst when drawn classically. Really? So Diablo Frank likes, uh, I don't know, the, the... I don't know. Jim Lee? I don't know what classically means, but uh, <laughs> he means by guys in the Neil Adams mode. He says, that's perfect for Batman, a character based squarely in a heightened, slightly fantastical version of reality that benefits from grounding. The failure of Superman in the post Weisinger era is thinking that approach serves a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman belongs to the Jack Kirby school, not Continuity Studios, where that which were founded by Neil Adams. Okay. But that's the round hole DC's been trying to shove a diamond-shaped peg into since Julie Schwartz took over. He even throws Julia Schwartz on, <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> well, I don't have any problem with any drawing of Superman in any form. I yeah, I don't know what classical means for either of these listeners. Well, since comics only exist since seventy-five years ago, classic is kind of what seventy years ago. I don't, I, mean, know. I don't know. I think what Frank thinks Rob means. Okay, which well, does, this well, is... Which yeah. doesn't mean that that's what Rob means. But Inception meaning. It, if Rob is talking about this version, that, yeah. you know, we've still got the comics in front of us. Uh, if he's talking about well, uh, realistic mm -hmm. proportions, characters drawn from life, you know, real cloth, and, and if Neil Adams is also that, 
which I'm not really ready to say it is. I think Neil Adams is a little bit more stylized. Okay. Then Superman looks better to Rob. Superman looks better drawn realistically. To Frank, he looks better drawn in extremes or more cartoony or stylized. Okay. Not grounded in a reality that we all recognize. Well, that's just a that's just a question of what you like. I think it's taste. I yeah, think, it is. I think it's, we get stories in both. Uh, I think one of the uh, one of the benchmarks is which drawing of Superman when mm. we say actually the word Superman. What comes to mind? And that would be what you classically think it is. So I mean, there's no right answer or wrong answer here. It's just taste. I mean, I like you know. I like my characters kind of chunky and cartoony like uh, Ed uh, McInnes does. Ed McInnes did a uh, run on Superman. Yeah, I know. So maybe, yeah, that's maybe what um, uh, what Frank is referring to. I like the, you know, Art Balthazar okay. Superman family book. I, yeah. mean, I love that. And obviously that's not realistic. But no. I also love these books. And I yeah. love Jerry Ordway, which we covered today. Yeah. Oh, I really like this one. Yeah. And yeah. So, so I think there's, there's all kinds. I, ah. I'm not sure any of those styles really do make Superman sink. Yeah. To some other level. Yeah. But like I said, unpopular opinions. Uh, what what else <laughs> does Frank say? Well, he says, Whatever my issues with the John Byrne run in Reflection, I was quite into it at the time and regret not sticking around through the Parallel Earth storyline that capped it. This stuff that followed, though, is the beginning of my true disdain for Superman comics oh, wow. in the modern era. Gangbuster alone makes me want to stuff a book back into its polybag with haste. When Superman sleep vigilante cosplays as Gangbuster because his brain broke after executing the genocidal Alterna Kryptonians, I just want to scream, oh, fuck right off. <laughs> well, it is a bit of a, you know, it's a complicated plot. And, you know, it, it probably, <laughs> you know what? He has points for style in this one. He also associates this whole era with how uh, a favorite Superman villain of his, Mongol, Okay, yeah, so I like Mongol. Sure. I'm not sure he deserves to be a favorite Superman villain, but that's me. He thought Mongol was cool when he first met him. Okay. But in this era, when he, Mongol is uh, kind of subservient to the uh, cyborg Superman. Okay, yeah. And the whole thing where did they blow up Coast City, yeah. all of that. Um, Mongol's not that tough. I mean, he was beaten by Robin. <laughs> Well, that, that's see, that's I think that's Frank's problem. <laughs> you're, just, you're just, I just touched it, right? <laughs> you just put salt because I, I, I felt, you know what? I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna, but I'm actually, I think Frank is right on that one. Mongol did not deserve to be beaten by Robin. <laughs> not that I don't like it. I mean, it's Grayson Robin, which I like. Well, it's my favorite Robin ever. He'll always be my favorite. But I think I like the idea of War World. Yeah, yeah, me too. But Mongol, aside from having a kind of a terrible name, it is terrible. Um, it's not spelled that way, but supposed supposed to sound like someone from Mongolia. Yeah. Why would he have a name that so directly sounds like yeah. a nation on Earth? Okay, first of all. Yeah. And that's in addition to any other connotations of in bad taste. Yeah. He's a Jim Starlin creation. Jim Starlin created uh, Thanos. Yeah. For Marvel. Yeah. And Thanos was pretty much a copy of Dark Side, Dark Side yeah. which was at DC. And, and, and now, then Jim Starlin yeah. came over to DC and wrote Mongol, so who was kind of the look and whatever, would be DC's <laughs> answer to Thanos. But DC already had a Thanos. Yeah, he was... Exactly. So, you know what? Yeah. Although he's not that close. I mean. He's not that close. And, you no. know, War, War World, it, it's basically the same thing as, you know, 
not same thing, but kind of similar to Apocalypse. You know? <laughs> so kind of like Apocalypse. Yeah, it's kind of kind of close. Uh, so basically, I, I'm not a fan of the later day Jim Starlin at all. Yeah, well, post seventies. So basically, he created a poor man's day. <laughs> poor man. Poor man's Thanos, Thanos which was. His own creation, a poor man's dark side. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, but, you know, I kind of like uh, just to, you know, I, I kind of like Mongo. Just maybe because... And his... so it also sounds like Mongo, the villain from Flash Gordon. Yeah, really. I mean, it, it's all derivative. It's all, it's yeah, it's all that. But uh, I like when uh, he came back, Mongo's son came back and trained Superman to fight against Imperix. And uh, I, I thought he was kind of cool then. You know, Which but, was you later know, than these guys. It's, yeah, it's a lot later. It's the like 90s. Uh, but he calls 2000s. it uh, the, the whole um, devolution of Mongol just a symptom of the greater disease of Superman being made so much smaller to fit a marvelized DCU. He must not like Superman right now. <laughs> Here are some unpopular opinions about the DC animated series. Oh. He says, well, he does agree that Superman the animated series is not given its due. I remember that show, he says. I had a lot of reruns in the early going, but I found that because they were lighter and more action-oriented, I didn't mind sitting through the same handful of episodes over and over again. Meanwhile, I had a low tolerance for repeats of Batman the Animated Series. Because... I'm sorry, I had to take a breath. Because they were much slower-paced and cerebral detective stories that I got the first time and resented having to sit through again. BTAS had higher highs, but also had lower lows and an overall poorer batting average of enjoyable episodes than... Stas, the Superman one. I also prefer the optimism and scale of Superman. Uh, so much more powerful watching Dan Turpin sacrifice himself to fend off the forces of Apocalypse than Barbara Gordon having an, ap an apocalyptic fever dream about how much worse Gotham could be without her. You know, you name some episodes. Yeah. Uh, and in any case, that Bad Girl episode is really from the new Batman Adventures, which yeah, yeah, which yeah. wasn't as strong as the original. No, and, and was, uh, what, three years later? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, and then they sort of redesigned every look. Yeah, uh, to bring it in line with the Superman one. Yeah, and then that all that. led to Justice League. Well, you know, apparently <laughs> Frank uh, took the first the of all Batman and Matt animated series to task. I don't know who strapped Frank to a chair and made him watch it, <laughs> but you could do something else while <laughs> while rerun reruns were on. Uh, let's see. He also says he grew up on Reeves and Reeve as Superman. But I think I'm still waiting for my Superman to appear in live action. Henry Cavill has the physique, and there are moments here and there in the, the Snyderverse where I see him for half a second. But then he debates allowing people to die because he's having an existential crisis and it's the desaturated moat monster again. <laughs> Maybe Resurrection will allow him to bring some life to the part. I have to agree. Once in a while, Cavill... I, I mean, I like the guy. He's a good-looking kid. Uh, <laughs> No, like, he's got the look. He's got the look, and once in a while... He... Like I said about BVS on a podcast no one wants to listen to anymore, since we've got people really angry. I, I liked all the actors, and I liked all how they played all their parts. Yeah. I just didn't like what they were made to do and say specifically. You know what? I feel exactly the same way, and it's kind of kind of the same thing for uh, Suicide Squad right now. But that's a, I haven't seen that's it. a discussion for... Probably never. Uh, at least uh, Frank likes uh, Give Me Shelter from the Rolling Stones. Good. Well, we're all on the same page. So let's look at some Facebook likes and shares because we got them. Oh, yeah. Yes. Face on Facebook, nice. there's uh, Derek William Crabb, Gene Hendricks, Robert Ward, Thomas Fovey, Kitty Baker, Al Sedano, David Foster, Clinton Robinson of the Coffee and Comics blog, Martin Lejean, our fellow Lonely Heart, uh, Daniel Budnick, Gautam Sharon, D. Bash, Silver and Gold Podcast, 
Ryan Daly from Power Fishnets, Michael Bailey, Shaq Matthews, Jay Jones, Jeffrey Davis, Neil Stanifer, Martin Gray, Mark M. Ryan, Billy Lacasse, Jimmy McGlinchey, Alan Middleton, Michael Harlow, Sean Emmons, Nicholas Brom, Ali Almeida, and Ruth Sutherland. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Coffee and Comics blog, Marty Light, Charles Barnard, Sin, Lost My Place, Tutor Freaks, The Hammer Strikes, Phil's Gloria, Bat, Michel Fief, Ed Moore and Moore Jr. and Ego Montoya, indie comics fan, all the same person. Okay. Kyle Benning at uh, the uh, KSCG SF podcast. Comic book insurance. I gotta buy me some of that. And <laughs> Tony Hugh. We're still lacking some Google Plus there. Shy likes and shares. So Google Plus people. <laughs> Go do it. Go do it. Uh, I think you pretty much have to follow Ciscoid or me. Oh, to you got to find do some. These, these I, I don't know. It's it's kind of a. It, you actually have a, a. What do you call it when you play games? An achievement. It's achievement. actually an achievement. Google Plus achievement. If you. If you <laughs> yeah, I do three shows. Right. Okay. I got a Google Plus what? like or shit like or plus a plus. Okay. Exactly once. Wow. Since. Forever? Yep. Since the beginning, <laughs> I think it was Gene Hendricks. Oh wow. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, that's fantastic. Well, sorry, Google. You're a really good search engine, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thanks to your cloud, I have all my stuff on there. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Next on First Strike: The Invasion Podcast, Animal Man number six. Thank you.